Stories Behind the White Coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Today's guest is Anna McDonald. Anna is a former Swedish First Tel grad who completed her Global Health Fellowship at the University of Washington. For the past few years, Anna has been working in Malawi, helping develop the first family medicine training program in the country alongside a rotating residence. Most importantly, Anna was actually my senior resident when I was in residency, which can probably be an additional Grayscale episode all in itself. Maybe season three. So um, I'm going to tell a story about a patient that I saw in Malawi in the hospital where I work. It's called Manguchi District Hospital. And just a little bit of background on the hospital. It's a rural district hospital in Malawi, which is the third poorest country in the world. And we serve a catchment area of about one and a half million people. And it's a really, really poor, um, underfunded, under-resourced country and place to work. There are a million stories I could tell, but this one sticks out in my head in particular because it was probably one of the worst clinical things I've ever witnessed, but it also ended up being one of my best days in Malawi and something that I look back on frequently um, when I'm having trouble seeing the light. So the clinical context is basically it's the end of a long day. It's about 4, 4.30. Usually we finish our clinical day around 5. And I'm literally walking out of the hospital. There's one long corridor that runs the entire length. And um, I'm walking from the back where we teach the medical students out to the front entrance of the hospital um, to meet the director of Seed Global Health and um, who else was there? The director of the Peace Corps, which are the two organizations that work together to send me there in the first place. So I'm kind of in a rush and I'm walking out because I know I have to go to this meeting with them. And I encounter this young physician named Dr. James. I'll call him that. And he kind of looks flustered, and he says to me, I was also feeling quite flustered. He says to me, do you know where Dr. This one I'm going to refer to as Dr. Yoda because he is um, one of the smartest clinicians I've ever met and just have tremendous respect for him. So he goes, do you know where Dr. Yoda is? And I sort of said, I think he's in the back hallway. I'm not really sure. And I started to keep going to my meeting. And I turned around and I said, what do you need him for? And he said, "Uh, there's been a bad accident. And um, I have a patient that needs to go to surgery. So Dr. Yoda, just to give you some context, is also a family doc, but was trained in the African context and so does a lot of surgery as a result. And so I said, okay, well, do you need help? And he goes, yeah, come with me. So we walk into what we call the A&D or accident and emergency room, which is about a 10 by 10 room. There is a single bed and there is a sort of rusty um, metal cart where we keep medications and a few syringes um, and some suture material. So I walk in and first thing I notice is usually it's just um, one clinician, so this is not a medical doctor, but sort of the equivalent of a a PA in our context. Usually there's one clinician and there's a line of like hundreds of people outside. So I walk in and right away I notice there are 
two clinicians there, one of whom is an orthopedic clinician and one of whom is an ENT. And I see them sort of both huddled over this patient. And then the next thing I see is I look down and there's just blood all over the floor. So um, Dr. James is kind of in my ear saying, well, this guy came in, he was doing some road work and a piece of machinery fell off and sliced him in the groin. And I thought, okay, this is not going to be good. And he goes, the artery was open when he came in. There was blood pumping everywhere. So my immediate instinct is like, oh, my gosh, I'm way out of my league here. I have no idea what to do. I, there's nothing I have that can be useful in this situation. So I pull out my cell phone and I call Dr. Yoda, who um, for some very fortunate reason happened to answer. Usually he doesn't. He's hard to find by cell phone. And I said, Dr. Yoda, can, there's been a bad accident. Can you please come to the A&D? And so he comes in, and I'm sort of standing there in shock. And I'm watching these clinicians do a repair of a really, basically what I could see was um, about a mid-20s, mid-30s strong man who is laying on a metal gurney with basically his entire leg sliced off at the, at the groin. And I'm standing there thinking, what can I do? Like, how can I be helpful? And so slowly, like, I, I get my wits about me and I say, okay, do we have a blood pressure? And right then the matron, the head nurse of the hospital walks in and she's a good friend of mine. And I guess I need to give her a name as well. And I'm going to call her Frances. So Francis comes in and I say, Francis, can you grab a blood pressure? And so she starts to do that. She gives me the blood pressure, which I think was something like low 80s over 40s. And the pulse rate, I can barely feel it's thready, but it's 140s or so really high. And I say, we need more fluid. So then I said, Francis, are there any other nurses around? And so she goes off and comes back with two more nurses and two nursing students. So now we have, um, I don't know, 10 clinical personnel around this one body. And everyone's kind of frantic and slow to join in, and people are kind of shocked and not really knowing what to do. And so I just start directing, and I say, okay, do we have a, an HB, which is a hemoglobin? So nobody had checked it. We send one of the nursing students, comes back with the HemaQ machine and gives us an HB, which was, I think, 6.2, which is actually pretty decent for Malawi. And so I say, okay, but this is a young, healthy guy. I'm sure he didn't come in here with chronic anemia, at least not to this level. I said, we need blood. Can somebody type in cross? And so one of the other nursing students draws a sample, and because it's now probably 4.45, the lab has closed. So there's nobody in the lab. So I said, Francis, can we please call someone from the lab? So Francis gets out her cell phone and calls the head of the lab, who comes back, um, had already left for the day, comes back and runs the sample. Find out this gentleman is O positive, and now we don't have a donor. So the way it works in Malawi is we don't, often don't have any blood in storage. Uh, we lose power too often, so we can't keep it stored. So you have to have a live donor. And, um, you know, he says, I'm really sorry, we don't have any blood. 
So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can donate, but I know I'm not a match. And I just kind of said to the room, is anybody O positive? And two of the nursing students said, yeah, we're O positive. And I didn't say anything. And one of them left and went to donate. I realized that was sort of not a fair thing to ask anybody to do, but they went and did it anyway. And to make a long story short, by this time, I'm kind of directing. Slowly, more and more bodies are coming into the room, more and more people. You know, the news travels fast, so people had been walking by, poked their heads in, and come by to help. And at one point, we even had to, like, push people out of the room because there were too many people helping this, this gentleman. So um, Dr. Yoda comes in, and he basically does a sort of more thorough assessment of the injury. And this guy's leg is sort of only attached by his sciatic nerve, really, nothing else. And so he just cuts it and makes a flap. And, you know, the ENT and the ortho clinician had stopped the bleeding. Very impressive. But we can't get this guy's pressure up. And his pressure's, you know, still in the 70s to 80s, over 30s to 40s. He's probably gotten about three to four liters of fluid at this point in time. And we've got a nursing student who's in the process of giving blood. And I'm running through all the things I can think to do. And we sort of finally decide we can't keep this guy in our hospital. We, we need to transfer him out. But that takes, you know, it's a four-hour ride in an ambulance. And typically in Malawi, if you take an ambulance transfer, you're not with any medical personnel. You're just with a driver, and the driver goes. So we're like, this guy is too critical. And oftentimes we can't send people if they're critical because they're not going to survive the journey more than likely. So, you know, all these people are in here and, and they've all been working together and we decide we're going to send them. And we talked to the central hospital. They said, yes, send him. Um, we'll accept him. And we say, well, someone has to go with him. So we call the anesthetist, which is you know, an anesthesiologist equivalent. Um, and we say, listen, we have this guy, he's really sick. Would you be willing to go with him and ride in the ambulance with him? And he agrees. Again, you know, so many things that are sort of outside the scope of normal practice. And so he agrees and we get him into the ambulance. And then I have this, and he has the blood hanging from the nursing student in his arm. And I have this last thought and I'm like well what else are we going to do you know this is a bumpy car ride what if he starts bleeding en route and so we have these things called anti-shock garments or pardo pants that we use for postpartum hemorrhages and I said can we use the pardo pants like are they in use now and so um, one of the nurses went off to check and they weren't it's the closest thing we have to like a pelvic binder they're these neoprene sleeves and we we put it around the guy's good leg that's still on just to give some extra pressure support. And he gets in the ambulance and they go. And after that, I sort of am standing at the table and I'm just sort of shaking from the adrenaline and thinking, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then I hear sort of the clinicians talking to each other and they start to say, good job, not, not to me, to each other, good job, thank you so much for being here, thank you for your help. And teamwork isn't really something that 
that happens very often in Malawi, not because people want to work as teams, just because everyone's so overworked. Everyone's just trying to get through their day. And so I start hearing all this and I, I start thinking like, wow, this was really different. You know, a bunch of people came. Normally people kind of turn away at the end of the day and people often aren't there late. And here we had too many bodies in the room trying to help this one gentleman. And I'm now, you know, an hour and a half late for this meeting with my big wig bosses. And I walked out of the hospital and I just didn't know what to say or do. And uh, one of the bosses of the organization is standing there and he says, yeah, I heard what happened. I've just been standing here. Are you okay?" And I said, yeah, actually, I think so. I said, that was really, really traumatizing. That's probably the worst injury I've ever seen. But I'm okay. And actually, I'm really sort of amazed by what just happened. And the next day, um, the anesthetist came to the morning handover where we give clinical sign out from the night team to the day team, which, you know, was my first time to see him at that meeting ever. And he told us the story of what happened after they left our hospital. They drove for about an hour, and the patient started bleeding. Bled through the, the shock garments. He had taken some fluid with him. He gave him a few liters of fluid, and they actually stopped at another district hospital. And the anesthetist happened to be there, and they took him straight back to the operating theater. And unfortunately, he passed away on the table. Um, but... What, what followed that story was, again, um, this message of thanks to everyone on the team and everyone who had been involved. And I think that's the end of the story clinically. Um, but the, the reason I wanted to tell that story is because of some of the lessons it taught me. So the first lesson I would say is that to really think about what you can contribute and to have faith in yourself. So, you know, I walked into this room feeling completely inadequate, which, you know, you would think I'd be used to by this point in time because I spend most of my life feeling inadequate with with patient care. And um, I walked in there just like, I shouldn't be here. There's nothing I can contribute. But of course there was something I could contribute as there was for everyone else who was in that room. Um, and so I think that was a good lesson to me to sort of have faith in yourself. There are some basic things that we know and we can do. And that in these high stress situations where you feel totally out of control, that there is something you can offer. So that was the first one. The second one is that this was sort of a later lesson, but like there are going to be times in your clinical career where you feel like You've done everything you can, and you're still going to have a bad outcome. And I think that was a big lesson for all of us. Unfortunately, uh, the Malawians that I work with are a lot more used to bad outcomes, and so they handle it much more gracefully than I do. And so shortly after this happened to me, um, I was reading this article in the New England Journal. I think it was an editorial, and I'm going to quote it for you. My first few years in practice, I was sure that being a good doctor meant curing people. I felt buoyed by every cleared chest x-ray, every normalized blood pressure. 
Unfortunately, the converse was also true. I took cancer recurrences personally. Now, late in my clinical career, I understand that I've been neither so weak nor so powerful. Sometimes, even after I've studied my hardest and tried my best, people got sick and died anyway. How I wish I could spare you the years of self-flagellation and transport you directly to this state of humility. I think about that quote often because um, sometimes you can try your best and there's still a bad outcome. But the important thing is that you show up in your present, which I think is like the third lesson in all of this is to do just that, to be present. I almost didn't turn down that hallway and go to the room and I would have missed this incredible experience. So try and be present to bear witness. Even when you think you can't offer much, there's not much you can do. Um, and I'm going to quote Carol Heyman here, who used to say, Carol Heyman. <laughs> surprise quote, <laughs> um, one of our geriatric teachers who used to say, don't just do something, stand there. And I think um, that being present doesn't mean necessarily that you have to do something, but you have to be there. And there are many days when I feel like just being present is the best that I can do for people. Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. Thank you to Anna McDonald again for joining us today. For any questions, comments, or inquiries, feel free to email us at thegrayscalepodcast at gmail.com or to rate or comment on wherever you get your podcast from. And as always, a big thank you to our patients who continue to enrich our lives through shared experiences. Oh my god, please don't. <laughs>